Well, a woman, an older woman, was just coming home from a very wonderful time with the Lord at her church. And as she walked into her home, she was confronted by an intruder. The intruder caught her off guard completely, and he was there obviously to take all of her possessions. And so without even thinking, she just shouted at the top of her lung, Stop! Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. The burglar stopped dead in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police and explained what she had done. The police got there, they put him in handcuffs, and as they was leading him out, the police officer said to the man, to the burglar, he said, uh, why did you just stand there? I mean, you could have done anything you wanted to. Why did you just stand there and let her call the police? The only thing that she did was quote scripture. The burglar said, scripture? Are you kidding? She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights, and I'm not standing around for that. (laughs) Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Knowing scripture can save your life in more ways than one. Well, welcome to uh, 50 Days of Unleashing Hope today. Our theme is refuse to go it alone. We need each other. Refuse to go it alone. Uh, The primary text we'll be looking at is from a little book in the Old Testament called called Ecclesiastes. Okay, now some of you were not raised with the Bible, so this might be foreign to you. But if you have a Bible, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you tell the ushers and we have Bibles that we'd love to give to you, love to give you one. But if you have your Bibles and you want to know where Ecclesiastes is, you take it, open it right in the middle, just let it flop open right in the middle, that'll be Psalms, turn right, two books, and you'll find Ecclesiastes, okay? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So the text this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Two people are better off than one they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I grew up in a small community in San Diego. It was in the East County, a town called El Cajon, and a mountaintop community called Crest. It's kind of a rural area. And uh, when I was growing up, we went to this small community church. Uh, The pastor was Nazarene. The church was very, um, in those days, very legalistic, very fundamentalist. And um, uh, we were a very small community, maybe 75, 80 people. But there were several people in that church that had a profound impact on my life. One of them was a sixth grade Sunday school teacher by the name of Harry Lillibridge. Uh, there were like four of us uh, boys in the sixth grade, and every Sunday morning uh, at 9.45, uh, we had Sunday school with Harry Lillibridge. He was um, uh, a, 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 a lonely man. He had never married. He had no family, no brothers, no sisters. His only things that he did was on Sunday, he would come and go to worship, teach Sunday school and go to worship, and then he would work at his job. Uh, He worked in a mill 40 hours a week for 42 years, and that was his entire life. What a lot of people didn't know is that Harry had a secret sin, and his secret sin was alcoholism. 
He always did it alone. He was never, uh, he was never uh, inebriated on Sunday, but every day after work, he would drink until he passed out, and that was his life. Well, no one really knew that in the church when I was there when I, as a boy, but years later, when I was off to college and seminary, uh, the church somehow found out that he was a closet alcoholic, and they condemned him in such a way that they said, you can never come back to church here, you know, until you get your life cleaned up. Uh, a terrible, sinful way to approach somebody who's struggling with a sin, with an addiction. Uh, so Harry did what you would expect. He went even more, became even more of a recluse and a very lonely man. He didn't know his neighbors. He didn't know anyone. And then in 1998, uh, he died from alcohol poisoning. He was uh, 63 years old. Um, Harry had an impact on my life. I was 11 years old, and he was the kind of guy that he wasn't very nice or very, you know, uh, warm or fuzzy, but somehow he communicated the good news of Jesus in a way that was effective to 11-year-olds. In fact, I remember the, the very um, prayer that I pray each Sunday before I preach May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, is from Psalm 1914, and it was the verse that Harry would, would pray every single Sunday. So that's been in me ever since I had Harry as a Sunday school teacher. Harry would also have, at the end of every class, he'd have an opportunity for all, this, all us boys to come to Christ again. And so we, we were saved every Sunday, you know, we, you, know, you know, we were so bad the week before, I guess I needed again, you know, so we'd go, but Harry was a consistent message in my life when I was a boy growing up. Well, fast forward to 1998, um, Harry passed away, and we happened to be home for Christmas, uh, in San Diego for Christmas when that happened, or after Christmas, and someone told me that he had passed away, and that his funeral was the next day. And I told Sherry, I said, you know what, I just feel like I should go and honor Harry. Um, I don't know how many people will be there, but I'm one person that he impacted for Christ, and uh, I want to go. So I went by myself to a little uh, uh, mortuary in El Cajon, and I walked in, and uh, I was the only one there. And I was the only one there the whole time. Now, they had some guy that worked for the mortuary that led the service. You know, it was, for him, it was just, you know, an extra 20 bucks. But, uh, but he stood there, and I stood, and I sat there, and he finally looked after 15 minutes. He said, do you still want to do this? And I said, yeah, I want to do this. I want to honor Harry. So he did his little service. It wasn't very inspiring. But uh, uh, after he was done, he said, does anybody have anything to say? You know, well, I'm the only one there, you know. So sure, I raised my hand and said, and I just said that Harry had an impact on my life. Uh, he talked to me about Jesus, and I loved him, and uh, I'm very sad that he was a sad man, and for his whole life, he had nobody that cared about him. We desperately need others in our lives. We have to connect with other people. Can you imagine living a life your whole life? And, and I know Harry loved God, but he had the secret sin, and he didn't have any friends, and he didn't have anybody that cared about him, and he didn't seem to care about anybody else. And What a sad, lonely, hopeless life he lived. In the Bible, godly people routinely sought the support of others. One of my absolutely favorite lines in all of the Old Testament comes from 1 Samuel 23, where it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Isn't that a great phrase? So who in your life strengthens your hand in God? 
Who in your life do you go to to help you live your life faithfully and live your life well for Jesus Christ? I mean, I love that phrase. The story calls all of us to ask the critical question, do you have someone like that in your life? Who strengthens my hand in God? We need one of those people. We need more of those people, and we need them fast. Without friends and close friends, really, our HQ, our hope quotient, plummets. Where do we find these kind of relationships? And what are they? Well, let me identify from Scripture five types of key relationships that you'll recognize. And friends, believe me, if you have these types of relationship in your life, you will be connected not only to God, but to each other in such a way that your life will have significance and meaning and power and joy. Five types of key relationships. The first one is this. We all need in our lives vision casters. Vision casters. I need people who stretch my vision, who help me dream bigger dreams. Uh, a week ago Saturday, uh, Sherry and I were invited to Steve Reed's retirement party. Steve was a teacher, long time in the Kyrene School District, and then the last several years at ACP, which used to be Chandler College Prep, or Ch Chandler Prep. So um, it's a public school, but it's a small school. ACP is the one where we had Easter a year ago, you know, uh, a year ago. And um, so he was retired from his teaching. And we thought that would be a nice ceremony. We went to honor Stephen. But here, I was blown away by this. Uh, they had student, student after student come up to the podium and talk about the impact that Mr. Reed had on their lives. A public school teacher that always taught them to dream big. Always taught them to have a vision for your life. And Steve was one of those guys, kind of like uh, Brian Pollard, who knows he's not to, supposed to say too much about God, but kind of ignores that a little bit. And he was always teaching these kids about, listen, you need to understand that God has a vision for you and a dream for you and a plan for you. And we were so amazed by the teachers, the coworkers, and the students that came up to the podium one after another and said, Mr. Reed, help me learn to dream big dreams. Now, that's a great legacy to leave, isn't it? We all need people like Steve Reed in our lives who help us to dream big dreams. Teachers, coaches, pastors, spouses, we need people doing that for each and every one of us. So Paul was um, casting his vision, casting his dream to a group of Christ followers at Philippi. And when he did, he said some remarkable things in the third chapter of Philippians. Uh, and he was speaking now to these Christ followers, uh, many of them very young in their faith, you know, recently converted to Jesus. And uh, here's what he said to them. In verse 7 of chapter 3, I once thought these things were valuable. And he's talking about all the things in the world. And we all know that things, they seem valuable to us, right? He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else, he said, is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have, dis I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. He says, I tried that. I tried to obey the law and keep all the law. I couldn't do that. Neither can we, right? He tried all of that, but rather I became righteous not through keeping the law, but through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
And then he said this, I want to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, listen, all the things that you're doing are good, and I'm glad you're doing them. All the things you've accumulated, that's wonderful, that you've got cars and houses and, and things like that. Those things, those, but let me tell you something. Compared to knowing Christ, those things are nothing. We need someone like Paul casting a vision in our life that says, listen, and we need friends that will come up to us and say, how's your walk with Jesus? Instead of, how's your toothache? How, how, how are you doing in your faith with Christ? Uh, how are you walking in your faith? Where are you going in your faith? We need people in our lives that constantly push us to look at the bigger vision. And the bigger vision is this. How can I know Christ? How can I know Christ in such a way that the power of his resurrection is in me? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Too many times we get so stuck in the kingdom of man. We're so stuck in the daily things that we do and say and think and feel and believe. Instead of having someone else says, so how's your walk with Jesus? How are you doing reading your, the scriptures? How are you doing sharing your faith? How are you doing loving your enemies? How are you doing in your faith? We need someone in our lives that will constantly remind us, here is the vision that God has for you. Walk in it. I have a guy like that. His name is, I have several, but there was one that started back when I, way back when I was in Lakewood, Colorado. His name was Bob Proborski. Uh, we were about the same time. We were around 40 years old, both at the same, at the time. And, and uh, we were raising our families. They were teenagers by that time. And, and we were kind of similar in, in stuff. But here's the one thing that Bob always did for me. He always pushed me to my vision. He said, Dwayne, how, how's your personal life with Jesus? I mean, I could talk to him on the phone today. And after we said, how's the family? How's this? That's one of the first questions. So how's your walk with Jesus? You know, this is one of the laymen that was in my church in Denver that was constantly pushing his pastor and asking the right questions. Always saying, okay, now good. I'm glad your family's good and your house is good and all. But how's your walk with Christ? Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have someone in your life that's a vision caster? That says, how's your walk with Jesus? We need those people desperately like Paul to help us say, okay, all the things around me are good. The kingdom of man stuff is good. But what really matters, kingdom of God, is how is your walk with Jesus? Uh, do you know Christ in such a way that your life is turned upside down? That's what we need from our friends. But not only do we need vision casters, we need soul sharpeners. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, this isn't talking necessarily about a critic, although sometimes your good friends, they might criticize you in a godly way, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this is talking about a cheerleader, someone who loves you enough to ask you the hard questions, someone who is fearless in their love for you. So when we came to Minnesota, we came to Arizona back in 2000, uh, the summer of 2000, um, we were in the strip mall, and uh, one of the first things we did is we called Brad Kindle to become our, our worship pastor. And we couldn't afford him, but we did it on faith. And so he came for, at a very low, a low price, and, and he became our worship pastor. I remember uh, a few weeks into our ministry together, we had this little small dinky office in the strip mall. We were kind of back-to-back -back in an office space. And I remember Brad saying, hey, Dwayne, I have something I want to ask you. I said, what's that? He said... Now, remember, this was 2000, so I, just, I, I, I quit gambling in 1997. For those three years out of the ministry, that's when I was getting my help and healing from my gambling addiction. So it's still pretty fresh, right? My first church after I was reordained. 
And uh, Brad said, you know what? If you ever get um, tempted, which I, I'm sure, I assume you will, uh, if you ever fail or fall, uh, I want you to know that I'll be here for you as a brother in Christ, as someone who cares about you. He said, and, and I would prefer that you tell me if you're being tempted because I want to hold you accountable. And he says, because here's what God's asked me to do. God's asked me to ask you a lot. And so he did. I mean, almost every day he say, hey, how's it going? Are you struggling at all? Are you? I'd say, no, you know, I'd, sometimes I'd say, just leave me alone. You know, I'm fine, you know. But here was a guy that loved me enough to ask the hard question. We need soul sharpeners in our lives. We also need models and mentors. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. In the NIV it says, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you have someone in your life who says that to you? Who says, you know what, I want to be a mentor to you? If I were to identify, I could identify a dozen people right here in this service that I know when they came to Christ at our church, maybe a year ago, two years ago, whatever, that if we hooked them up with a mentor, if they decided they wanted a mentor, someone to walk beside them in their discipleship, those Christ followers are much further along than those who are doing it on their own. We need people to come alongside us and say, how can I help you love God? How can I help you love the Bible? How can I help you pray? How can I help you learn how to share your faith? You know, we need people that come along beside us and say, I want to be a mentor, a role model to you. One of the responsibilities I have for our conference, the Pacific Southwest Conference, is I have a group of, myself and another guy, uh, Kurt, have a group of seven young pastors uh, in, our, in the greater Phoenix area. Some of them are covenant, some of them are not, but seven young pastors that we are responsible to mentor. It's called the Leadership Connection, and Kurt and I mentor these seven young pastors. And basically what we say to them is this, follow me, follow us as we follow Christ. Now that puts a lot of responsibility on the one who speaks those words, the pastor or the leader or the discipler or the mentor. Follow me as I follow Christ. But there is nothing that will establish you more in your faith than finding a mentor or a role model. I've had so many in my life. I've been so blessed. I could give you name after name. Pastor Woodhouse, the pastor where I was growing up, uh, Wynne Dean, the first layman that I really knew that when I was a young pastor, uh, Clarence Aggard, another pastor, all of these people were great mentors in my life, but probably the most influential mentor in my life was my father. Now, I, I know that sounds cliche, but it wasn't for me. My dad was a flawed man, just like I am. In fact, there was a time when I confessed my gambling addiction that I told my mother, my dad had passed away in 1980, 1983, so he was, he was gone. But after I told my mom, she called me back about an hour later. Remember that, honey? She said, Dwayne, I need to tell you something. I said, what's that? She said, your dad had a secret gambling problem. No one ever knew it except for me. But a lot of the times gr growing up, you kids didn't have a lot because your dad was gambling away our money. And I never knew that. And really, it, never, it didn't, make me, feel, uh, it didn't me, make me feel any less towards it. But here's one thing I do know. I wish my dad had have confessed that. He could have gotten help, and somebody could have come alongside him like they did for me. But anyway, my dad, even though he was flawed, he was a man of God, and he loved God. And I remember coming out of my bedroom when I was a boy, and my dad would be sitting in his big lounger chair with his big Bible. I mean, Bill, his Bible was twice the size of yours. He'd make your Bible look like a piker Bible. His Bible just spread out over his lap, and, and, and he was reading his Bible, and he was praying 
And it was so, and you know what? He never once told me to read my Bible. I tell you guys that every week. He never once told me. But you know what I did when I was a kid? I read my Bible. I wanted to be like my dad. I saw the way he prayed. I saw the way he led in the church. I saw the way he led devotions in our family. On Sunday mornings, my dad would go with about three or four other men up to our little church at seven in the morning on Sunday, and they would pray for the services. Guess what I did on Sunday morning at seven o'clock? When you're 11, 12, 13 years old, you don't want to get up early, but I wanted to be with my dad, so I went and I prayed. What kind of mentors and role models are we to our children, to our grandchildren, to those in our church family who need, that are new to Christ and that need a mentor, someone to come alongside them? We need models and mentors. Here's another type of person we need. We need heart healers. Heart healers. Jonathan was a heart healer for David. Uh, one of the great uh, stories of friendship in the Bible is Jonathan and David. And uh, listen to this uh, text in 1 Samuel 20. I'll just read a, a one verse, verse 17. It says this. So Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. That kind of soulmate, and if you read the whole story, read 1 Samuel sometime and you'll get this whole idea of this relationship that David had with, with Jonathan and how beautiful it was and how powerful it was. And we all need people in our lives like Jonathan David where there's this, this, this soul connection, this heart healing connection. We need soulmates. We need to be heart connected to other people in the body of Christ. Dr. Paul Turnier wrote these words. It is impossible to overemphasize the immense need we have to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, to be understood. No one can develop freely in this world and find a full life without feeling understood by at least one person. Who is that person in your life? Who is that heart healer in your life, that person who comes alongside you when your heart is broken, when your marriage is broken, when your children are off the rails, when things are going bad in your job, in your life, in your finances, who is that person that comes alongside you and helps to heal your heart? The year that our son was killed, 1989, I wanted to get as far away from God as I could get. And, but that was a dilemma because I still needed to work in order to have money for our family. And so I kind of faked being a pastor for several months. <laughs> uh, the church gave me as much time off as I needed, but I went back and I did my thing. And, but I was broken inside and I was so angry at God. And there were three men in our church at Lakewood Covenant Church. Three men, Gene, Ralph, and Bob. Bob Poborski, the one that I mentioned before. And those three men, without me knowing it, got together and made a vow to each other that they would stick with me. And just like it says in Ecclesiastes, they would keep me from falling. They could see that I was broken. They could see that I was faking it. But they stayed with me. They met with me every week. When I didn't feel like praying, they prayed over me. When I didn't feel like reading the scripture, they read scripture to me. They held me accountable. They told me what I needed to do for my family, for my job. They loved me. They were heart healers. I could not have healed without them. We need, every one of us, every one of you needs, needs heart healers in your lives. The last category of person that we need in our lives, and some of you say, well, I don't need this, but yes, you do. We need tail kickers. <laughs> we need tail kickers. Proverbs 27.6 says it this way. 
Wounds from a sincere friend are bitter, are better, excuse me, than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Oscar Wilde said it this way, true friends stab you in the front. <laughs> That's a true friend. I had true friends uh, when I was going through my difficult times. And um, I remember one of them was uh, Jim Sundholm. Jim was appointed by the conference, the Northwest Conference, to kind of be my counselor and my support system. But he was, more, he was a friend and he was a brother in Christ. And he had a very accurate, and pardon my French, but he had a very accurate BS meter. And uh, he knew when somebody was high on the meter, and he knew when I'd come in and I had, you know, yeah, I'm doing great. And I'm like, and he'd say, whoa, 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 time out. You know, where have you been in the Word? What's God been teaching you in the Word? Well, not much. And, and how have you been in prayer? And I'd start blaming other people. He said, no, no, no. All of your sin, all of this thing that happened to you is on your head. Don't try and put it on somebody else. This is on your head. And he was this amazing tail kicker that loved me while he kicked my tail. He loved me while he pushed me, while he made sure that I was being honest with myself and with others. Who loves you enough to speak the truth to you? And are you humble enough to receive it? So think about your friends. Do you have vision casters as friends in your life? Soul sharpeners, models and mentors, heart healers, tail kickers. You need all of these relationships to fully function in the body of Christ, to have the kind of hope that God wants you to have that will infect the world around you. You need these people in your life. We are better together. We are not intended, like Harry Lillibridge, we are not intended to live life alone. We are intended to be connected to the body of Christ. We need relationships. You say, well, okay, so if I get those relationships, what, what's that going to do for me? What kind of benefit will that be for me? Well, let me just share a couple of things with you around that question. One of the benefits of these kind of close relationships is to be encouraged. To be encouraged. Um, there's this amazing passage in um, Hebrews 10 I read it sometime. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but whoever it was was really inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, here's what he wrote in chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. Let us hold tightly without wavering. He's talking about holding tightly to our faith. Hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Hold on to that hope we have in Jesus Christ, he's saying, okay? Hold tightly. For God can be trusted to keep his promise, okay? So that's good. God's going to keep his promises. We hold tightly to the hope we have in him. And then he says this, let us think of ways, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways, in the King James Version, it says, let us, let us decide how we can spur, goad, urge, whip, <laughs> how we can spur one another on to love and good works or loving good deeds in the King James Version. How can we spur each other? How can we encourage each other? How can we motivate each other? We do that through encouragement. Now, here's my assignment for you. Besides eating baklava and fruit, by the way, that's what our refreshments are. Instead of Costco cake or cookies that we usually give you, Corey's kind of this high-maintenance person. No, she's not really. Uh, but she, wanted, she didn't want the ordinary, so we're having baklava and fruit. So enjoy that. While you're enjoying that, your assignment is to encourage three people, okay? 
Now, if you run away really fast and get out the door real fast and go home and complain to your wife that nobody encouraged you, that's because you left too fast, okay? Slow down. And you didn't do your job of encouraging people. So encourage three people before you leave. This really matters in the body of Christ. We must learn how to spur, urge, you know, move, uh, push somebody towards love and good works. We need encouragement. We also need support. The Ecclesiastes passage, two are better than one. If one falls, God help us if we have no one there to pick us up. But if there's someone there to pick us up, everybody wins. There's so many times all of us go through discouraging times, times when we're down. Some of you may even have the times when you get depressed. These are all very normal human feelings, but discouraging comes from what I call the four F's. Fear, failure, frustration, and fatigue. When you have one or all of these or some of these, you will find your heart being really discouraged. That's when you need support. When someone falls down, you're there to pick them up. Let me ask you two questions. Do you have that kind of person in your life? And secondly, are you that kind of person to other people? Are you the kind of person that comes alongside them and helps pick them up when they've fallen down? We need each other. I had um, that time that I was really depressed after Tyler was killed. Uh, that was in October. By February, we had our annual midwinter conference where the covenant pastors gathered together. Usually it's in Chicago. That year, 1990, it was in Denver. So I didn't have far to go because I lived in Lakewood to uh, the midwinter conference. And people thought I was being really spiritual by going to the midwinter conference when this had happened to me. I wasn't being spiritual. I was just trying to wait, get away from my family. Uh, I was so sad and broken by their sadness and their brokenness. Doesn't, that's not much of a man, is it? When I was trying to get away from them. And so I went there just to hide. And so I did. I didn't go to any of the meetings, didn't go to any of the seminars. Finally, one of my friends, Mick, came, knocked on my door. Hey, can I come in? Sure, come on in. Uh, so what are you doing? I'm watching hockey, which I hate, but you know, when you're depressed, you watch anything. And, um, and I said, well, let's go to the meeting together. I'm not going to any meetings. Well, um, how can I help you? You want to go get a meal together? I don't want to go to any meals together. Uh, finally, Mick said, you know, listen, Dwayne, we, we have encouraged you. We have prayed for you. Uh, we have helped you the best way we know how. We've done it. But here's one thing I haven't done. I haven't prayed over you. And he literally drug me off the bed onto the floor. And he put his hands on me. And he prayed for me. Do you have somebody like that in your life? That cares for you enough? They'll say, okay, enough of this foolishness, okay? You've had three months, okay? It's time to move on. And I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to pray that God's going to heal you. And he's going to heal your family. And that God's going to somehow, some way, in a crazy system of this world, somehow use you again in ministry. Do you have somebody in your life that speaks support and encouragement and love into your life like that? I mean, we need each other. Look at all the times in the Bible when, uh, when Satan really tried to attack somebody. Um, in the book of Genesis, you see Eve. Now, later you see that Adam's with her, but I think Eve initially was kind of by herself when she was attacked by the enemy. Jesus was all alone when he was attacked by the enemy. Peter was all alone in the, in the kind of the area outside of the praetorium when he, the enemy attacked. We are always attacked most successfully when we're alone, when we find ourselves alone. Well, I'll just do this by myself. 
I'll just take care of this issue by myself. I don't want to tell anybody about my secret sin, so I'll just keep it to myself. That's when the enemy has the most power in our lives. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10, 25. This isn't on the screen, but I just added this this morning. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that uh, the day of his return is drawing near. How can you encourage and support people if you're not around them? That's why it matters that you come to church every Sunday. That's why it matters that you go to a small group. That's why it matters that you're part of a Bible study. You need to be around people to give them the support that they need and that, that you need. And the third benefit to a close relationship is this. You and I need accountability. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, pastor, can I confess my sins to God directly? Well, of course you can. But here's the problem with that. We have a tendency, I, how many times do you think I prayed that God would take the gambling addiction away from me? Every time I was driving home from the casino, pouring my, tears pouring out of me, crying out to God, God, take this away from me. Do you know what one thing I didn't do? I didn't confess it to somebody else. And so along I go, gambling, crying, weeping, repenting, gambling, crying, weeping, repenting. If only earlier than 1997 I had have confessed to somebody, Sherry or somebody, I've got a problem, I need help, then I would have gotten help. We need accountability. And if you have secret sins, you need to tell somebody. And if you want somebody to tell it to, you can tell it to me because I'll keep it a secret, but I'll help you and I'll encourage you and I'll point you to Jesus and we can work this thing out together. Step into the light from the darkness. These are the benefits that we all can receive from having these kinds of relationships. You will be encouraged and you will be an encourager. You will be supported and you will be a supporter. You will be held accountable and you will also hold others accountable. This is what God has called us to refuse to go it alone. A few weeks ago, Sherry and I were in San Diego for, uh, to see some friends and um, uh, there was a, a benefit dinner that uh, Mary, one of our old friends, uh, invited us to. And so we went there, and I didn't really want to go, but Sherry did, uh, and it was free food, so we did. And uh, so we went to this benefit dinner, and it was really a neat thing, and we were happy to be there. And Mary, Mike and Mary Rothman, who were part of our young marriage group back in the day, were the ones that invited us. And afterwards, there were five other couples there, and all of us had been in the same young marriage's small Bible, small group Bible study back in the early 1970s. All of us were in our 20s, always had little kids. We were having our families, raising our families. I was a youth pastor at the time. I led the Bible study, but there was five of us. So we're all standing around sharing stories from the past. And now we're talking about our grandkids and all of that. But here's the bottom line to all of that. Every one of us looked at each other and said, you know what? Those times that we met together when we were in our 20s, when we were raising our kids, that mattered more to us than anything you'll ever know. We learned how to love God together. We learned how to read the Bible together. We learned how to support each other, to encourage each other. That mattered. Now, that was 40 years ago. And when we see those people, and now they're, they, look, they all look old. Everybody except us looked old. I couldn't figure that out. But, but I'll tell you what, uh, 40 years have passed, and we still have this heart connection because we lived life together in the body of Christ. Refuse to go it alone. Would you bow your heads with me, please? 
Father, it is such an honor to be part of the body of Christ. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we, well, you know, I'll be one of those Christians that never goes to church. Well, man, the Bible just doesn't talk about those people. And, and Lord, we need each other in such a way that we can encourage each other, support each other, hold each other accountable. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help me to always have those people in my life and to always be that person for someone else. And I pray that everyone in this congregation today would experience that same thing. Lord, we will refuse, as a congregation together, we will refuse to go it alone. We need you, and we need each other in the body of Christ. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry.